Okay, let's start, please. Um, Ed Kelly, would you open us in prayer, please? Father God, we thank you as we gather in the people. Thank you for the faithfulness of all that you provided for us. Please be with our teacher, with our passion, this morning to lead us in prayer and help us to be attentive. We ask all these things for us. Amen. Okay, I'm the uh, sub today. Uh, Paul is out sick. And uh, I found out that I was doing this uh, kind of late in the afternoon. And so I'm pulling something out of the file here. And what I am presenting you today is what I taught at RUF at Louisiana State University in about the year 2000. It wasn't even the year 2000. It was 1990-something. So I blew the dust off of it, <laughs> hauled it out. I was asked to teach at the largest Catholic university in the country, LSU. You didn't know that, did you? There are more Roman Catholic students at LSU than there are at Notre Dame or any other Catholic school. You don't know how Catholic Louisiana is unless you've lived there. So they asked me to teach on predestination. That's what they asked me to teach on. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about predestination. The word is used six times in the New Testament. And I know it's a word that evokes a lot of emotional reactions. It often generates more heat than it does light. And it's probably one of the most misunderstood, most debated uh, doctrines in all of the Bible. And there's a great temptation when we come to terms like predestination to impose natural human categories on it, rather than allowing the Bible to define for us what predestination is. And so let's just look at the Greek term for predestination. It's a compound word, pro-orizo, pro-orizo. And the word pro in the Greek language can mean the following. It can mean before, prior, in front of, or ahead of. And so I just like to use the word before. And the word orizo means to create, specify, and designate a boundary. To create, specify, and designate a boundary. So as to separate or distinguish one thing from another, or it can mean to mark out. And so the simplest definition I like of this word out of all of that is to mark out before, to mark out or establish the boundary before. As I said, the word is in the Bible. It has to mean something, okay? And people say, I don't believe in predestination all the time. They tell you that. But there is a word in the Bible, and it does mean something. And so the controversy is usually focused upon... Everybody agrees the words in the Bible. Everybody that has a lexical Greek dictionary can look it up and see what the meaning is. But the argument is over the basis. Upon what basis are people marked out beforehand? Okay? That's simple. What is the basis of predestination? That is to say, why or on what grounds are some people marked out or chosen and other people are not? 
And there are really only three options. One of them I would say is pagan. One is sort of semi-Christian. <laughs> and the third is what I would consider to be the biblical. So I'm, I'm laying my cards on the table. You know which one I believe. But the first one is something uh, developed by a British monk by the name of Pelagius. Fourth century British monk. And his great debater was whom? Anybody know? Nope. Nope. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in these. Who? Yeah. St. Aug. Augustine uh, was the one who challenged, and here's what Pelagius said in a nutshell. He said, God marks out or elects or chooses those who are good. That is, we have a debt uh, that we are obligated to pay. And so what Pelagius said is though man is fallen, he does not possess original sin. Meaning that all man needs is the law of God and he's fully capable of obeying. And so the basis of predestination according to Pelagius is everybody has the chance. It just depends on how they behave, whether or not they keep the law. And, of course, Augustine came along and blew that out of the water. In other words, Pelagianism is not uh, grace bestowed upon people to enable them to do anything. We don't need that much help. Pelagius really believed that we sin not because we have a sin nature, or we're somehow inherited that from Adam, but rather Adam set a bad example for us. That's his argument. So Adam set a bad example, and the reason why people sin and don't believe God is because of the effects of a bad example. The second basis some people see for uh, who God elects or marks out or chooses is that God elects some who are bad who, though bad, are good enough to exercise faith in Christ, and on that basis of this foreseen faith, God elects them. Does anybody know where that comes from? Well, it comes from a guy named Jacob Arminius. Yeah, well... Who said Ephesians? You? Uh, Ephesians refutes what Jacob Arminius says. Arminius was a Dutch theologian, and his argument was where it speaks in Romans chapter 8, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He sees foreknowledge as what? God's knowledge of future what? Choices and future events. And so Arminius's view... So he looks through the spectrum of time or down through the, you know, because God knows everything. And he looks through time and sees that you're going to choose him. And the way I like to put it is, you second the motion. In other words, he sees that you're going to choose him. And then he says, okay, I'll choose you because you chose me. How is that grace? How could that possibly be grace? The root of all of Arminian's theology is it's man-centered and it's works righteousness. 
And that's why they doubt their salvation so much. Because they haven't learned about the doctrines of grace. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the second thing, is that... I'm trying to put this as simply as possible without using too many technical terms. Number three... The third option is, upon the basis of which some people are predestined to salvation, is God elects the bad who, because of their being bad, are not able to exercise faith in Christ, and on the basis of his sovereign goodness and pleasure, he chooses those people to be his. And so that is uh, known as what? Yes. Now... Let me tell you a little bit of secret about Calvinism. Did John Calvin sit down one day and go, you know, I want to disturb the world. I'm going to write out the five points of Calvinism. And that way I'm going to, I'm going to put my tulip together and it's just going to rankle everybody and get them all disturbed. No. How did this happen? Yeah, the remonstrants were Arminius's crowd and they published what they believe. You could call it the five points of Arminianism. And this was the response of the church at that time who judged this to be what? Heresy. This was heretical. And so as a result of that, Calvinism was at one time, get this clearly, the position of the church on this issue. Now, there are really only two options. And the question is this. Does God choose people because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ Or does God choose people in order that they shall believe in Jesus Christ? The Calvinist says God chooses unbelievers and predestines them to become believers. The Arminian says God elects believers and predestines them to be his children. So you see the difference. That's the difference. The basis upon which the choice is made is either based upon what we do, or what God has done. And so, uh, again, does God elect a man or a woman because that man or woman wants God, or does God elect a man or a woman because God wants that man or woman in spite of the fact that that man or woman does not want God? So when you look at this concept of predestination, one of the things that upsets people is the concept of what? Justice. How is this just? It just doesn't seem what? Fair. What's fair? Which would be what? Eternal separation from God. Judgment. That God would forever abandon that person place them under judgment with no hope of retrieval. In other words, if you want what is fair, then everybody does what? Perishes. Why does anybody believe? Because God in his benevolence and goodness decided to choose for himself a number that nobody knows from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, And the way those people are saved is the same way anybody else is saved. You're called out of darkness into the light. Somebody shares the gospel. The uh, chosen, the predestined, the elect have no tattoo. They have no marking. 
They don't have a streak down their back. We don't know who they are. But that's what the Bible teaches clearly. Clearly. I mean clearly. I wrestled with this. Because I didn't grow up in this tradition. I grew up in a different tradition, which was really number two, that God elects believers and predestines them to be His children. And I went to the Baptist church, and it was in the downtown square, and the Presbyterian church was right down the street, and I said, those crazy people believe in predestination. Now, the... uh, The Arminian believes that the choice of God is conditioned upon the faith and repentance produced by free will causing God to choose. Can you not see how that's works righteousness? Can you not see that? It's just clearly uh, antithetical, even hostile, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Or... Is faith and repentance produced by the Holy Spirit and is the effect of God's election and choice? The Arminian says election is an act of God whereby he foreordains those to eternal life, those whom he foresees will respond in faith. The Calvinist said election is an act of God whereby he foreordains to life those who because of sin cannot respond in in faith to the gospel. So which of these two views resonates with the Bible? Well, it's interesting. There are a number of people who have tried to say, well, that's not right, I can see that, but that's not right, I couldn't possibly believe that, so what do they try to do? Right. They try to stand in between these two things and come up with something called there's no such thing as a personal, individual chosenness. We are elect because we... They try to do a little double talk here. We are elect because we're in Christ. And if not, uh, God foresees all who become a part of the church as an act of their own free will and they partake of Christ and therefore, election is true of them because it's true of Jesus. So our election is barred from Jesus. And so they argue that this is a corporate term, not an individual term. Here's one question. What are corporate made up of? Individual. <laughs> Duh! Yes? I, I'm one of those people. I struggle with this. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I struggle with is that when I read the Bible, I read that God gives each man a measure of faith. And so the it, do, it doesn't say that. Yeah, I just read it in Romans. But that's Romans. addressed to whom? And he says to the brethren, but there's another place I read it to. It's the church who he addresses that to. Okay. You have to read carefully. I'm not, I don't want to dismiss you. I appreciate the struggle. But faith, does the Bible teach that faith is a gift of God? Where does it say that? It doesn't say that, so it doesn't say that anywhere. No. No. It doesn't. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says what? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, lest no man can boast. If I'm saved because of my faith, I have a reason to boast over people 
don't. But, but no, but you're not following the logic. The logic is faith is a gift of God. Repentance also is a gift of God. Acts, the book of Acts tells us that. So if they're both gifts, something God gives to us, why do I have it and other people don't? And if I say it's because I'm smart enough to figure it out and use my own faith and my own repentance to save myself, then I'm saving myself. And God is not. Well, that's, the, that's that. the struggle. Is uh -huh. People saying, why would God choose me? Yeah. I mean, God certainly, the only way that God would let me in is if I snuck in the back door. Right. <laughs> and that's... Yeah. Certainly my struggle was, because I didn't grow up in this tradition either, was the, and you alluded to it, is that it has to do with the freedom of the will. Uh -huh. That my struggle was, how is it not, how am I also responsible, but it also not my choice? That's, that's the that struggle. Was, that was when you, when you boil it down, how can God hold me responsible for a decision left to myself that I cannot make? How is that thing? Well, why am I in this condition? Because Adam sinned. It's all his fault, right? Yeah. The way I break it down, it's really only one question. And that is, what is the nature of man? And the question has to be answered by the Bible. Well, that's in the notes if you'll let me get there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't steal my thunder, Ralph. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, conditional election preserves, they think, the justice of God, and it leads him to treat all people alike and bestow no favors in salvation. They would say that God is impartial and no respecter of persons. Thus, God is obligated to do for one law sinner what he does for all. God is not sovereignly free to do for one sinner what he declines to do for another. He must do both. If not, then God is not just and righteous. Somewhere along the line, they lost the concept of sovereignty. Total depravity teaches what? Does it teach that every person born on earth has the ability to respond to God if they want to? No. What does total depravity teach? What does total mean? It means pervasive, which is the same thing. Total depravity means that the effects of the fall touch every dimension of my existence. I don't think right. I don't feel right. I don't love right. <laughs> we're messed up. We're a mess. And we're dead in trespasses and sins. A dead person spiritually has what? No life. No faith. No repentance. We are what the walking dead. What is it? Uh, Timothy says... Uh, uh, about a, a woman who is of ill repute, that she is dead while she lives. Uh, that is precisely what the Bible teaches. And that's hard for my pride to take. That's hard for my religious uh, dimension of my experience to take. I don't want to be humbled in this way. I don't want to be told that I'm unable to do what I think I can do. This truth should never puff you up. It should never be any cause for pride. It should throw you on your face uh, before the Lord, crying out, thank you for your mercy. 
Thank you for your mercy. The only thing that distinguishes me from any lost person is God's kindness and grace in making me alive, bringing me back from the dead spiritually, giving me the gifts of faith and repentance. No man can come to the Father except what? The Son he sent draws him. That's John's gospel. I thought I'd throw that in there for Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me just talk a little bit more about what these other other people say. They they see election or predestination as conditional. Uh, God sees uh, and elects men to eternal life is conditioned upon what individual men do, not what election is based on. God foresees and foreknows that each person will do what they will do when confronted with the gospel. So for this group, the Armenians, salvation is what. What is it? Is it secure? It's what? Possible. Now, what I always say to myself, because I used to be an Armenian, (laughs) is, all right, did Christ die to make my salvation possible and it's contingent upon me and what I do with him, or did Christ die to make my salvation secure in that he died for me in order to really save me from the guttermost to, or uttermost to the guttermost to the uttermost, as an Armenian Billy Sunday used to say. Do you want to say something, Scott? Yeah, I, I like the uh, forgetting step, but talking about Christ, you know, Anytime you introduce us into the equation, there's always contingency. You cannot have assurance of salvation. Because did you believe enough? Did you have faith enough? Have you ever really looked at repentance? I have never done a great act of repentance in my life. They've always been. And what about the prodigal son? I mean, his repentance was terrible. Why? Because he was working a con, Right? He wanted to get back to the father, and he knew his father treated his hired servants better than where he was, living off the pig food. And so he decides to come back and try to wheedle his way back into his father's good graces, and so he he repents when he sees his father, but the repentance is what? Self-centered and self-serving. And that's not biblical repentance. And I venture to say that the only reason I'm saved is Christ repented for me. Where did he do that? No, before that. Before that. The baptism. Why was Jesus baptized? Was he a sinner? Did he need to repent? Well, he, we know he's not a sinner, right? So why was he baptized? Which is what? He did it for us. He did it for us. To win us the gifts of faith and repentance that he accomplished for us on the cross. Now, this is good. You're getting my blood pressure up here. This is good. (laughs) But please don't be angry about it. There's a possibility I could be wrong. (laughs) I have been wrong before, but I have believed this for the past 30, 40 years. And so uh, it's just what I believe the Bible teaches. Now. Uh, the Reformed view proceeds on the assumption that God saves men and women 
in accordance with the plan formulated in eternity past. That is, Ephesians 1.11 says, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Before the foundation of the world, He chose us to be united in Christ, and that antedates or comes before creation. The goal is salvation, that we would be holy and blameless and that God would be glorified in saving us. And the basis of his predestination and election is not grounded in any act of man for good or ill. Does anybody know what Romans 9 verse 16 says? Somebody want to read that out loud for me? I got arthritis in my phone when I came. What does Romans 9 16 say? So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God's mercy. Wow. So what does it not depend on? What's human will? Choosing, right? Or what's the other one? Exertion. But on who? Who shows what? And what is mercy? It's the opposite of what you deserve, right? It's the opposite of justice. You get mercy. And so that's how we're saved. Now, the sole cause for our salvation is in the sovereign good pleasure and grace of God. We're election based upon what God foresees each individual does with the gospel. It would be an empty and futile act For what does God foresee in us apart from grace? Nothing but depravity that evokes his righteous wrath. And so we see salvation as a monergistic act. Mono means one, ergo means work, one person working, one source of power that saves us. Arminians see salvation as a cooperative work of both God and man. But again, if you introduced 1% of man, you have lost what? All of grace. Grace can't be mixed with human action. Neither can mercy. So, the reform define as that loving or define uh, salvation as that loving and merciful decision by God, uh, the Father, to bestow eternal life upon some but not all hell-deserving sinners. Let's say that ten men rob a bank, okay? And we capture all ten of them. But the judge decides he's going to have mercy on one of them, and the other nine are going to go to jail. What's wrong with that? Well, it doesn't seem to be justice, but what if the judge decides to show mercy instead of justice? He he can do that, right? You can add to that. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So the judge can kick one to give him mercy, but then he gives him grace and brings him to his house to murder. That's the the biblical view. Yeah. So, one does not become elect by meeting a condition, that is, by our faith and repentance. One enters the elect by virtue of God's free, gracious choice before the foundation of the earth 
as a result of which he enables us to repent and believe both sovereignly and unconditionally. Otherwise, you would have something to boast in. Boast in the Bible doesn't mean brag. It means to take credit for. And I could take credit for my salvation if I'm saved by what I do. Bingo. So if we're going to talk about, you know what, grace really irritates people. It just guts people, yeah. Well, I think it, it's particularly hard with the emphasis in our culture on individualism. Yeah. And, you know, being able to take credit for what you have accomplished. Um, grace is very offensive. It is. I have been told that unless you've been offended by the cross, you don't really understand what happened there. That when you saw Jesus hanging on the cross receiving the outpouring of God's wrath, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That that should be you? That that's what your sins deserve? Until you see that. Uh, all this seems, quote, not not uh, egalitarian, shall we say. Anybody else want to say something? Shawnee? Well, what? Well, he can't undo what he's done. What do you mean? We just we knew people in seminary who went all the way through what we did, but they always brought that up that it's God's choice. He must take his salvation away. Well, as far as I can tell, you can't be unborn again. And as far as I can tell. There's nothing we can do. Apostasy is a reality, but that's not a person who's truly been converted. Apostasy reveals that they haven't been. Yeah. Well, you know, along the lines of what Sean is saying, is we have a popular form, the Reformed theology, it's the CREC, the, the Hudson Wilson group, who believes that it's your faithfulness in responding to that Savior, which totally affects the gospel, which is, which is why the PCA's had such a bad reaction to, to that type of thinking because it is almost, as Shawnee was saying, you're in, you're in covenant. To stay in, you have to be faithful. You have to be, you have to, yeah. yeah. So it's, it becomes a work. Uh, I could not be stronger in my and the reason is, is because... You wouldn't I, come, sure. No, I know. The, the you hear that? And I just want to say something that um, <laughs> I just feel that um, God's love is unconditional. And no, it's contra-conditional. Nowhere does the Bible say God's love is unconditional. Nowhere. You will not find it in the Bible. It is against condition. Us and saves us. He does it out of his own mercy. Uh -huh. I believe that. But I think what I have a problem with is trying to parse these two views together and put God in this airtight box where... He's I, only ask, acting I mean, consistently with his own nature. Okay, well then, did Jesus have a choice 
whether or not to obey God. Sure. Did he not? In, his humani- in his humanity, he did. Otherwise, the temptation in the garden would have been what? Meaningless. Okay, so what about like... But we're not Jesus. Even though we are a creation, we're not robots, and if we can... I'm not arguing that we do not have a will. I'm arguing that our will chooses what we want, and we don't want God because of sin. sin. Well, then where does love come in? I mean, if we are so programmed that we have no choice, It's not not programmed that we have no choice. We have choices, but we cannot choose what is good. Have you ever seen the non-posse picaris? Do you know what that is? Okay, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were able to do what? To sin or not to sin? After they fell, what happened? They only had one choice. What was that? To sin. When we're redeemed by Christ, we're able... To sin or not to sin. And when he comes back and we go to heaven, what? We're not able to sin. Well, and that's that's, that's essentially what the Bible teaches. But what about the perseverance of the saints? And uh, to me it's not about boasting. It's more to me about trusting in the Lord Jesus. What would you lose if you, if you uh, accepted the view that we have? What are you losing? I think what I don't like about it is it to me is like arrogant in a way because to me it feels like why would it be arrogant if we're claiming it's by grace because it's like we're in an elect uh, clique we're in a group well I know I know that there can be people who are obnoxious and snobby about it and I hope I'm not I really hope I'm not but I have to be faithful to the bottom I have to be I don't care whether it matches up with what I think love is or what I think a person is I am called by God to bow my knee and teach what the Bible says. And I have to stand before him and give an account for that. And for me, that is a very serious matter. And And if the scriptures do not teach what I'm teaching, then I will repent and turn away. I think it's both. And I think that I respect you and I love you. Oh, I love you too. (laughs) I do not agree with you. Okay. And that's all. I think that's one thing to remember along with all this, though, is the complementary um, doctrine of common grace. Like that we, there is, you know, God has bestowed on humanity, you know, the common grace that, you know, allows people to do good things and that are not always doing the worst possible thing that they could do. Right. Um, and that, you have to consider that along but you, with you, the doctrine you, of salvation. You would qualify it how? It's still by God. It's, I know, but how, what are the limitations of common grace? It's not saved. There it is. Yeah, it's not so we're talking about the basis of salvation. That's yeah. what we're talking about. But if you believe that man in sin, his will is in bondage, and there are plenty of places I, I, I don't want to. I can't spend the time going there, where Jesus speaks of us being captive. To Satan, or our will being in bondage. Yeah.
struggled when I came to faith because I heard the gospel preached and it took me five years. And when I finally really, really repented, he told the Lord, I can't do this, you have to change me. And he did. It seemed to me that I have to exercise the faith. No, well, you're right. You're right in this. God does not repent for me, and he does not believe for me. I have to do that. But I will never do it. Ever. And the reason you did it, what I believe, is God gave you, brought you to that place, and, and gave you nowhere else to go. And you turned to him, and he gifted you, he regenerated you. Listen, if you're dead in sin, somewhere along the line, you've got to be alive. Why did he tell Nicodemus you must be born again? Why did he tell him that? Nicodemus, if anyone would have ever been saved by exercising their will, it would have been him. And Jesus said, no. You don't even understand the kingdom unless you're born from above or regenerated, which is made alive. Yeah. But your admission, your admission that you could not overcome the struggle tells you what? Somebody had to save you, right? Somebody had to save you. Change me by the Holy Spirit. Did that come before you turned to the Lord? Yes. Yeah. There will be people in heaven that are... Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me, let me stop and also say this, and, and I agree with you on this point. There are people who believe this who are nasty and arrogant and insulting and filled with pride. There are. I've known them. I've been one, okay? And I had to grow in my understanding of it to repent of that. But just because there are people who misuse it doesn't mean it's true any more than any other truth that we believe. But the fact is, uh, I, I don't see how... My whole argument is salvation is by grace. Isn't the Bible clear about that? So if there's anything I contribute to the equation, what have I lost? Bingo. You win. i got two minutes. Anybody else want to ask anything? Yeah. Um, when the angel comes to Cornelius and says such and such good works, see, from memory, it sounds like he's saying that those merit him getting the gospel message. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. Because <laughs> I don't think you're quoting it right. Okay. How did the Catholics in the shoes respond to yeah. You know what they look like? They look like uh, that face where you have been hit by a truck or overwhelmed or like a deer in the headlights because they had never, ever heard a single person talk about this kind of stuff. And it generated a lot of discussion and a lot of response. Uh, they never invited me back, so you know, what can you do with that? That tells you what they thought. Can you unpack the concept of Christ being baptized for us? Um, he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Christ, when he went to the baptism, what was John's baptism? It was a baptism of what? Repentance. If Jesus is sinless, what does he need to repent of? So it wasn't a personal. He was doing it as our substitute. So when he repented for us on our behalf, it wasn't for him was for those for whom he represented. Like Adam represented us in the garden. Jesus is the second Adam. Uh, that is what I say enables me to repent, though not because I'm still sinful. Every action I do is tainted with sin. And the reason God accepts my repentance is because of why? Jesus was repent, repented in my place. He goes to the garden, uh, goes to the desert to be tempted of the, the devil. Why did he do that? He did that for me. I wouldn't do it unless I was asked. Uh, which leads me to my last point. Thank you. This is family secret. This is a family secret. It is a, Calvin did not believe. Why do you think I don't herald this from the pulpit every week? Because I know that most people cannot understand it. They, it just seems so what? Bizarre and strange. It doesn't mean you don't believe it. It's a pastoral doctrine. It's brought to help Christians see how great grace is, the grace that saves them, and to move them to humility, to move them to confidence in Christ, to joy and praise and faithfulness and holiness. And the way I live my life is since I don't know who's chosen and who's not, I view everyone I meet as uh, chosen till they prove otherwise. But I got to tell you, I've seen some people saved who you would never in a million years, ever. My older brother was one of them. And I've seen others. So don't cast your vote already. You don't know. You don't. If you had met Saul of Tarsus, you would have never seen Paul the Apostle. Right, Emma? My wife keeps reminding me that we're not saved by our theology, we're saved by our faith in the Lord. So, yeah, but that, let me say this and I'll quit. That, when I say by our theology, of course not. But our theology helps us understand what our salvation is and who, who does what.
And if this disturbs you, please, it's okay. I don't dislike you. I love you. And if it, if it makes you upset, please don't be that upset about it. I ask you to pray about it and think about it, okay? How many came out of Arminianism? Thank you for the discussion. I appreciate it.